Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of the series Song of Songs, Advice on Love from Solomon. As we walk through the Song of Songs, we will not only learn the sacred value God has for marriage, but also gain a transforming understanding of God's love for us. Turning your Bibles today to um, Song of Songs. In some of your Bibles, it's going to be Song of Solomon. And we're going to start in chapter 1. Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. We'll figure out here in a second why it is that way. And I will open this message by saying this. Over the next four weeks, we, we're starting a series, Advice on Love. Everybody say love. Yeah, it's love month, right? February. Guys, you're planning for Valentine's Day, right? Don't answer that. Just, just nod your head yes. And if you weren't before now, get on it. Get on it. You hear me online? Get on it. Um, but we're going to examine the topic of sexuality, marriage, um, relational discourse. We're going to talk about relationships and love, and we're going to get that love, um, that advice from a guy named Solomon um, who had, you know, many wives and concubines. Um, look, look, some of y'all's faces are like, I can't believe I came today. I'm never coming back to this church again. Um, let me tell you why you feel that way. Growing up in church, I, I was a church boy growing up, okay? Um, doesn't mean I always acted like a church boy, but I grew up in church, and nary one time, Nary's from my West Virginia dictionary. Not one time do I remember a sermon out of this book. Now, I remember sermons where they would quote it. I remember sermons where they would kind of refer to it. And obviously, I always saw it, like in the front, where it lists all the books. Anybody know how many books are in the Bible? Oh, good job. Oh, man, those things that go through your mind, like I was going to say, you're smarter than I thought you were, but then I said, that's not nice, don't say that, and then I said it anyway, look at that. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Get used to laughing, get used to feeling awkward, this whole book is that way, okay? And I'll tell you why, it's because no one talks about it. How many of you have heard a sermon series walking through the, the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon? Look around you. No one. You know why? It's a unique book. If you were to take this book, historically, if you were to take this book out of the canon, out of the Bible, you would not be able to tell that it is a piece of Christian literature. Take it out of Scripture, you won't see it. In fact, there are many people that consider this book, um, well, I won't say that term because my wife told me I shouldn't. And I think my wife is wise, like Solomon was wise. Um, but they consider this book, it's written in a literature form, it's like a dramatic narrative, it's a poem. It's a series of poems. It's almost like a song. How many of you like music? 
Okay? Yeah, it's like a song. It's like a duet. You have these two main players. You have the beloved, who they refer to as Solomon. We'll see here in a second. And then we have um, the Shulamite woman. And then you have those two interacting with one another. And then you have like the, uh, a crowd. They call them the daughters of Jerusalem. Okay? So it's this, this duet, this back and forth, this dance and most churches, in fact, um, where, no, I, I, let me not skip ahead. Let me not skip ahead. Why? Why are we going through this book? Marriage has become flippant in today's culture. Marriage has become something that, uh, it's up to you, you know? It has become something that isn't cherished, isn't sacred, isn't respected. And most of the time, you can tell that by looking at your marriages. This series, we want to talk about the sacredness and power that a marriage covenant should actually look like. Now, some of you today are like, I'm not married. This isn't for me. Oh, it is for you. If you're single here today, this book is going to give us some inroads on what love in a marriage relationship should look like. What this first part of the book is like courting, and then you see the big wedding, and then uh, the last half of the book is uh, just kind of blips. It, the book isn't written in chronological order. It gives us almost these scenes. Have you ever watched a movie where you watch the movie uh, and, and, and you have the main storyline, but then they'll, they'll like remember back to something and it'll like go to a different screen, almost like little bubbles go up and they just envision like this little scene. It's those types of pictures all through the Song of Solomon. And over the next month, we're gonna learn the importance of sacrifice and love, and intimacy, and honor within their spousal relationships. And can I just be bold enough to say that it's the reason we, the reason we need to go through this is because we have an entire church culture that pornography has infiltrated, lust has infiltrated, and no one's allowed to talk about it because sex is faux pas in the church setting. You're uncomfortable talking to your kids about it. And, and, and the word sex in church, even now, makes you uncomfortable. Many of you because of how you raised. Some of you because you've had bad experiences. But there is a beauty and a design and a sacredness that marriage reflects on God. The Bible all through. Even uh, when you look at uh, the church coming to meet Christ, it is described as a wedding feast. Why? Because we're also going to talk about the fact that you can't take this whole book allegorically, but you can look at it and say, okay, this is what marriage should look like, and marriage is just a shadow of the relationship we have with the Lord. The respect, the trust, that we should have with Jesus. And so we're gonna have some hard conversations in here. Is that okay? 
Is this okay to talk about? Um, don't bring your kids in here the next four weeks, okay? We're gonna keep it PG, I promise, but I'm telling you, uh, some of these topics you need to cover with your kids, I don't, okay? Today, we're just talking about marriage and relationships, so if you're getting like real nervous and itchy, like, oh, I gotta get out of here. I would say that is your flesh and not the Holy Spirit. The other thing I want to say about this book before we jump in is that it is not separate from the Bible. Let me repeat it. Song of Solomon, while unique and different and odd and and very intimate, while it is all those things, it is a part of Scripture, meaning what? If we believe that all, all scripture is divine and authoritative, this should have implications and application to our life. When was the last time you went to the Song of Songs, meaning you've heard the term King of Kings, right? He's the King of all kings or the Lord of Lords. The Song of Songs, which is the literal translation or uh, uh, cantles, I think is the other one, uh, but we call it Song of Solomon because of this very first verse. It says, this is Solomon's Song of Songs. It is the greatest song he ever written. What, what do you think was the greatest song ever written? Free Bird? No? He wrote, I don't know if you know this, Solomon wrote over 1,005 songs. He's a songwriter. And this is what he considers as the, we consider him the author. This is the greatest of those songs. And we're gonna cover this first, we're gonna read together. Uh, But the big idea for today is this. Marriage is a gift from God for our good and his glory. And so we're going to talk about what marriage might look like. We're actually zooming into this poetic scene where they meet each other and we see some interaction here. Let's read together. Uh, Song of Songs, chapter one. We're going to start in verse one and we're just going to read this whole chapter, okay? Dig in. Pay attention. Don't fall asleep. You won't fall asleep. I guarantee you won't fall asleep. This is Solomon's song of songs, more wonderful than any other. And then enters the young woman. Some of you may have uh, titles in here, kind of subtitles, depicting who's speaking, okay? This is a dialogue. Everybody say dialogue. The young woman comes in, kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How pleasing is your fragrance. Your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oils. No wonder all the young women love you. Take me with you. Come, let's run. The king has brought me into his bedroom. Many of your versions may say chamber. And then you see the crowd, young women of Jerusalem. How happy we are for you, O king. We praise your love even more than wine. The young woman comes in again. How right they are to adore you. 
I am dark but beautiful. O woman of Jerusalem, dark as the tents of Kedar, dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents, don't stare at me because I am dark. The sun has darkened my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards so I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. Tell me, my love, where are you leading your flock today? Where will you rest your sheep at noon? For why should I wander like a prostitute among your friends and their flocks? And so the young man responds, verse eight, if you don't know, O beautiful woman, Follow the trail of my flock and graze your young goats by the shepherd's tents. You are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. How lovely are your cheeks, your earrings set them afire. How lovely is your neck enhanced by the string of jewels. We will make you, uh, we will make for you earrings of gold and beads of silver. The young woman responds, The king is lying on his couch, enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. My lover is like a sacket of myrrh lying between my breasts. He is like a bouquet of sweet henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. And the young man responds, how beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. You are so handsome, the woman responds, my love, pleasing, word, uh, pleasing beyond words. The soft grass is our bed. Fragrant cedar branches are the beams of our house. And, the, and pleasant smelling firs are uh, the rafters. Let me read this last verse here. I am the spring crocus blooming on the Sharon Plain in the lily of the valleys. Let me, let me first say, um, men, hear me. Don't take um, complimentary tips from my boy Solomon here, Okay? For instance, um, it probably isn't going to go over as well if you look at your wife or your girlfriend or whoever you're with today and say, you know what, baby? You got eyes like doves. It doesn't come across, um, uh, and you'll see other uh, examples in here where you're like, Yeah, I don't know how that comes across that way. But you've got to understand this book is very poetic and it has more cross-references than any other book I've studied. I mean, every line, every verse has multiple cross-references throughout Scripture. Um, You see this song, uh, this book used a lot. Um, And... The very first thing we see here is that this is Solomon's song, okay? And, and we know that because his name is listed like six times in here, and it says right from the get-go, um, this is Solomon's song. There's nothing to read into that, okay? We just know this came from Solomon. Um, but it seems like uh, Bible translators even have a hard time with this. Um, how many of you brought your Bible with you today? Um, okay, uh, 
Is it Song of Songs in yours, or is it Song of Solomon? Song, Solomon, right? In mine, it's Song of Songs. Um, uh, Canticles, that was the name. There it is. Charles Spurgeon uh, preached 59 sermons from this book. 59. Um, and uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, he was um, a preacher back in the early thousands. Uh, he preached 86 sermons just on chapters 1 and 2. Yeah. Y'all want me to do that? No. I didn't think so. Some of y'all are like, let's just get through this. I don't know why my pastor's so weird. I don't want, I, I didn't come here for this. Um, uh, but Ken Law, um, one, uh, a commentator said, if a manuscript of this little book were found alone, this is what I was uh, referring to earlier, detached from the biblical context and tradition, it undoubtedly would be viewed as secular. The book has no obvious religious content. Isn't that odd? Think about it for a second. You probably haven't taken time to think about it. You skip over this book. But um, this, unless it's in your daily reading plan, you probably read through it you know, over the course of a couple weeks. But um, it has many different, there are many ways that people have tried to read this over time. And I'll be very blunt with you. Many of uh, even our uh, church fathers avoided this book. They would tell others, hey, don't read this. It's going to cause you to give in to your flesh. <laughs> One of the commentators I read while I was studying for this, he actually castrated himself. Yeah, can you believe that? Because he didn't want to sin against the Lord. This book has historically made Christians uncomfortable, but the best way to see this book um, it's as a powerful description of the romantic and uh, sensual love between a man and a woman, observing both their courtship and their marriage. But yet, even though we're going to get all types of marriage advice from this book, we cannot ignore its connection that God places importance. It's in here for a reason. He places importance on the marriage relationship. He places importance on it. God deliberately uses the marriage relationship as an illustration of the relationship he has with his people. We find that this great song of songs illustrates the love, intensity, and beauty of, of relationship that should exist between God and the believer. Now this is secondary, but it is a part of our understanding of this book. Um, now, let's start walking through this. I, I do want to just make one statement here. If you're divorced or you're a widow, this, these marriage can be an uncomfortable conversation for many. Okay, um, and honestly, many of us, uh, there's going to be some women in here today that read this text, and they're like, my husband's not like this. Something's wrong with him. Well, I would agree something's probably wrong with him, um, but I would also say something's wrong with all of us. Is that, is that okay to say? Something's wrong with all of us. Um, and the temptation will be to read this and be the Holy Spirit for our spouse. Honey, why don't you talk about me that way? Why don't you love me? 
You must not love me like Solomon loves. This is what's beautiful. This is what's beautiful. No one will love you like God loves you. Okay? This is the point. This is what, uh, this is a romantic rendering via poem. Okay? This isn't um, every, you know Solomon had his own dark closets. Okay? Wisest man, they say in the Bible, right? He asked God for wisdom, got wisdom. But hear me. Allow the word of God to shape you through this study. Whether you're single, divorced, widowed, or married. Happily married or begrudgingly so. (laughs) That's not funny because some of y'all are begrudgingly married. Um. And the Lord would have this lay on our hearts and transform our, man, what if God transforms our marriages through this? What if we're better husbands and better wives? What if we're better in our relationships, whether we're dating, no matter where you're at on the relationship scale? What if we just learn to be better people who love through this book? So let's, let's dive in. We're going to jump in, um, and we'll start here. I'm, I'm going to cover kind of two through four, and we're going to cover this whole chapter, um, but I'm going to do it quickly. i got about 10 minutes. Mm, 15. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for his love is better than wine. Um, no one can kiss two people. This sounds obvious, Right? This sounds obvious, but in this text, there is an intimacy with which they are already operating in their courtship. Um, Kiss me, kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. Um, To the maiden, the love for her beloved is more refreshing and intoxicating than wine. There's, There's a type of love that trumps everything else. There's a type of love that is consuming And that's the type of love that she's talking about here. Um, Charles Spurgeon, when he, uh, one of the sermons he did, uh, he broke this out uh, in a sermon called Better Than Wine. And I wasn't going to preach it, but I'll tell you a couple of his notes. He said, Christ, because Charles Spurgeon was one who was uncomfortable with this text. And he said it was completely about Christ's love in the church and um, he steered away from literal interpretation of it, but he said, Christ's love is better than wine because of what it is not. It is totally safe and may be bro- taken without question. You can't take too much of God's love. It doesn't cost anything. Taking more of it does not diminish the taste of it. It, uh, it is totally without impurities and will never turn sour. It produces no ill effects And then he said, Christ's love is better than wine because of what it is. Like wine, the love of Christ has healing properties. Like wine. The love of Christ is associated with giving strength. It's a symbol of joy and exhilarates the soul. We'll move on. How pleasing is your fragrance. Now some of your Versions are going to say this, because of the fragrance of your good ointments, um, 
your name is, uh, is ointment poured forth. This, uh, in the NLT, it says, your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oils. Uh, th- this is very important. When you're courting, these folks are courting, okay? They're courting, they're dating. Um, and when you're dating, some of you may remember this. You remember when you were just infatuated, infatuated with someone? Just enamored with them. Hey, guys, this is a great, great moment. Hit your wife, be like, I'm still infatuated with you. Yeah, see? See, that's smooth, that's good. I'm gonna teach you. My wife would say, you, you ain't going to teach anybody anything. Um, <laughs> but this says something important. It was more than just the hots. It was more than just infatuation. His name was respected. His name, he had, this was a guy of character. Um, and reputation, his name was like ointment poured forth and flowed from the fragrance of his good ointments. Um, this shows us that a wise woman chooses a man whom others uh, see to be a man of character. Because we see the women of Israel right below here in chapter 4 say, How happy we are, O king. We praise your love even more than wine. So even other people see this guy and they see this relationship that's forming and they have a respect for it. Do you see what's already becoming apparent? And you'll see this theme throughout the next four weeks. Your relationships will reveal God to other people, either detracting from him or glorifying him. Let me just ask you this. When people look at your marriage or your relationships, do they just say, man, look how good God is? I hope you're asking yourself that question. There is something not quite right if a woman thinks she can see what's amazing, what amazing a guy is, but no one else can see it. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me just give you a glimpse into me as a father, okay? When my wife and I have some little snot-headed boy come in the house and everybody around the block says he ain't no good, you know what I'm going to say? He ain't no good. Even if everybody says he's the best, I'm going to say, no, he ain't. He ain't no good. But maybe some of you have known young ladies who have who said, oh, you just don't understand him. Or uh, he's a really good guy, I promise. I was a youth pastor for 13 years. And this is the story we would hear constantly. And I, I, would, I would say, young lady, if his name carries respect and character, everyone will see that, not just you. Let me skip down here. The young woman kind of responds, how right they are to adore you. (laughs) Um, I have found that this young woman, uh, and we're about to talk about her, because she says, how right 
they are to adore you. Um, there is a, um, a concern. The daughters of Jerusalem rightly saw this passionate love as something to celebrate. It was good, not simply fun or exciting, um, but it should be recognized. Um, when this young woman hears all the people around, okay, these daughters of Jerusalem, when, they, when this young woman hears them saying, oh yeah, he's the guy, the maiden considers that their high estimation of her beloved is appropriate. Yet of herself, she feels that she's deeply tanned and makes her less worthy of praise and of her beloved's attention. Um, read here with me. She says, how right they are to adore you. I am dark but beautiful. O woman of, a woman of Jerusalem, dark as Kedar, as the tents of Kedar, dark as the curtains of Solomon, don't stare at me because I'm dark. Um, I don't know if you knew this or not, but people pay good money to be tan nowadays. You know that? Yeah. Not then. Fair skin in this time was considered more beautiful because it, it was attributed to affluence, it was attributed to money and living a higher life. Women with dark skin were out working in the fields and came from nothing. And so you see all these women, women adoring this guy and then all of a sudden, and this is so true still even today, that what, what is it that when we talked about women and men back in September and one of the things women struggle with, one of their hurdles is comparison. Comparison. And here she is already comparing herself to other people and looking down on herself. This uh, commentator Glickman, he said, she should not be so infatuated that she imagines a scoundrel or knave to be her knight in shining armor. She should be able to say rightly, do I love you? He should be the kind of person one ought to respect. Um, marriage eligible women today should have this same perspective as this young lady, and I'll tell you why. Paul summarizes the responsibility of a wife towards her husband in Ephesians 5 with one word, respect. I do a lot of premarital counseling, and one of the questions I have to often ask, um, because this, this is what women will say. They'll say, um, and this is actually a quote from a movie, um, where this young lady said she was going to marry this man for who he almost is. I forget what movie it is, but I remembered it and wrote it down. Or to choose him um, uh, for the man she can make him to be. All of this is unwise. Why? An unmarried woman should ask herself this question seriously. Can I genuinely respect this man as he is right now? Yeah, I will be referring my daughter to that question frequently. I don't care what he can be, okay? Can you respect him right now? And this is the picture that's being painted here in the Psalms, uh, the Song of, so uh, Song of Songs, that 
Everyone sees it, and this woman sees it, that he is worthy of respect. His character is worthy of respect. Do I respect him enough? to? Because here's what happens. Women um, and men get married for who they think this person can be, and then what happens? They end up in a marriage counseling office because they can't submit to one another because you say, oh, that's not who I married when you didn't even marry the person you were married to. You married some future version of them. Let me tell you also why this is beautiful. I'm reminded of the verse where Paul tells us that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That's what it reminds me of. Because Christ's love trumps all things. Um, We find out that she's dark, she's tanned, and she's not even dark and tanned of her own doings. We see here that um, don't stare at me because I'm dark. The sun has darkened my skin. My brothers were angry with me, so they forced me to tend to their vineyards. There is um, this young lady feels she is not only unworthy of love, unworthy of this type of attraction, um, she feels she's in this predicament not even of her own accord. Not even of her own doing. She's almost, it almost comes across like a type of Cinderella figure. Um, the maiden seems to make the mistake of thinking that her hardships have disfigured her and made her less qualified to be truly loved. I am mind boggled. Look at your neighbor say neighbor and say mind boggled. That was weak. Some of y'all see y'all don't even want to talk to each other now. Look at that. Yeah. There's an old story um, about a thief. Let me read it to you. Uh, he broke into a department store um, and stole nothing. So you would think that doesn't make him a thief, but he broke into the store. He stole nothing, but he switched all the price tags. Switched all the price tags. The next day, an expensive Swiss watch was marked as $1.50. Fine leather handbag, $1.75. But a rubber ball for a kid to play with was $150. And three pencils were marked at $175. If people bought or sold at those prices, you would think they were crazy, right? Yep, okay. Stay with me. I feel like I need to get a defibrillator here. You don't think I will? Yeah. Yet all the time, people value precious attributes and characteristics in other people very cheaply especially when it comes to love and romance, they assign high value to attributes and characteristics that are actually worth nothing. Let me tell you what's important in the marriage relationship. It's not those six-pack abs, okay? They will fade. Amen, yeah. It's not that tight skin. It's not... 
beautiful hair. But respect. Hey, respect and honor. Those things never lose value. But it seems like we place, especially in the courting relationship, if you're watching today and you're, and some of you who are married may need to rewind and start courting all over again because you place way too much value on superficial things when what you really should have looked at is maybe, maybe he's not the prettiest guy you've ever seen. There should be some attraction there, but I'm saying maybe he's, he's not the most fit dude you've ever met, but he's respectful and he loves the Lord. And he would die to himself daily for you. That's why I'm thankful my wife chose me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you, you didn't have to amen that, Roger. You didn't have to amen that, brother. I'm <laughs> yeah, we'll talk after service. You can meet me in this parking lot. We'll have a snowball fight. Let's look at verse 7 here real quick. Tell me. Oh, you whom I, I love, where's your, um, where, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon, uh, for why should I be as one who veils herself? Uh, here in the NLT, uh, it says, uh, for why should I wander like a prostitute among your friends and their flocks? There is a genuine desire for these two to be together. And... Um, when the Bible says veils herself, it really does mean prostitute. Um, her maiden, uh, here the maiden claims her modesty uh, because in that culture a veiled woman was a woman of low sexual morals. She didn't want to make herself look like some loose girl that was trying to, uh, you know, weave their way through these different shepherds and, and farms and fields. No, she wanted to go to one place. And that was to be with her beloved. Um, I think um, in their culture, this term veiled woman referred to a loose girl, like, likely a prostitute. Um, and so this reveals a couple things to us. There is a humility and, a, um, and an integrity that should follow our dating um, and our relationships uh, but I want to move on. There's some other parts here I want to get to. Uh, she understood that when it comes to sexual attraction and reputation, what others think does matter. Okay? It does matter. Um, let's look at verses 8 through 10 real quick. If you don't know, O oh most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock. That kind of seems obvious, right? Follow my flock. Um, and graze your goats by the shepherd's tents. Um, you are... Uh, as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. How lovely are your cheeks, your earrings are uh, set them afire. Uh, how lovely is your neck? That's not something I've ever said to my wife. I can tell you that. How lovely is your neck? Um, and so, again, guys, don't try that one when you get home. Um, baby, I love your neck. Well, maybe try it. I don't know. Solomon did it. Give it a shot. See what happens. Who knows? It might set your marriage ablaze. <laughs> Let me 
shift over here. There is, um, when he's telling her where he can find her, um, where she can find his flock. Where is he at? He's like, yes, come on over to me. I want to see you. Um, and he gives her this very interesting attribute. He says this, uh, you are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. Again, try it. Give it a shot. See what happens. Baby, you look like a steed today. I don't know. Just, But this is important, and I'll tell you why. There was something about this girl that set her apart from everybody else. Hey, look, you know, when I was single and, you know, roaming the earth trying to find, and really just really Virginia to Tennessee, that was it. Um, dated many girls, but there was none like my wife. Not one, still to this day, not one like her. She was set aside from the pack. One, she had a great voice. Um, but two, she had a desire to see the Lord be made much of in her life, and I could see that in her. Um, and that's what this beloved, this guy is saying. Two, you're like a mare among Pharaoh's stallions, okay? You are one that stands out amongst everyone else, um, Estes described um, a more conventional view here. He said, Solomon's mare was his pride and joy. It was the most beautiful and graceful horse in the kingdom. It had been specially selected to draw the king's chariot. Only one horse was good enough for Solomon. The meaning of the comparison is obvious. Other, women's may be, other women may be fine, but the Shulamite was the only one Solomon prized. You also see versions of this when you look at um, who's qualified to be an elder in the church. Um, you have to be a one-woman kind of man. Hear me, guys, today. You cannot have eyes for anyone else. You want to wreck your marriage? You want to wreck your relationship? Have eyes for more than just your wife. Have, um, have eyes for more than just your spouse. It will wreck it quicker than anything else. Have eyes for other people. We can see right here that they only have eyes for each other. Verse 11, we will make for you earrings of gold and beads of silver. We see these daughters of Jerusalem again recognizing how valuable. Everybody say valuable. How valuable a right and true marriage is. How right and true Love is, in God's eyes, it's valuable. Um, this is, I wrote this down. This is one reason why it's important to a woman that her man treat her well and treat her well in public. She instinctively understands that others will treat her better if they see that her man values her and treats her well. Men, how well do you treat your wife in public? Women, how well do you respect your husband in public? 
People notice that. Do you see here, again, the daughters of Jerusalem are offering gifts to her because he is showing love and respect to her? Hear me today. Don't just think your marriage problems are going to affect you. People are going to see it. And it is not just going to look down upon you and your wife or you and your, the person you're in a relationship with. It will look bad on the Lord, especially if you proclaim Christian to be a Christian, a Christ follower. The Shulamite uh, describes how precious her beloved is to her. Okay, watch this. Um, just get ready to be uncomfortable, okay? While the king is at his table, I believe this is the ESV version, but maybe KJV. Um, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna bloom aware that there was an attractive power between them. There was an attractiveness. Um, and she also understood his ability to attract her. This dynamic of mutual romantic and sexual attraction is wonderful in the context and character for character and corresponding commitment. It is dangerous. It is a dangerous dynamic outside this context. Let me tell you something. When you get married, your flesh doesn't die. Nobody wants to talk about this. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that um, when when you get married, all of a sudden, no, I just have eyes for you. You know, oh, you know, the sin in me is dead. And the problem with not talking about this type of thing is that, you, you know what breeds in darkness? Sin. Sin. They are attracted to each other. And within the confines of the marital relationship, this isn't just casual flirting. This is towards a devoted, committed relationship with other people. And if there's one thing after 13 years of youth pastoring and, and then now having two daughters, let me tell you what I cannot stand. And is that is uh, dating or flirting or doing all this different stuff with no end game of marriage. No end game of commitment now. It's just surface. It's just surface, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to flirt. Um, I, I've had multiple conversations with multiple couples who have um, faced different, not necessarily physical affairs, but can I tell you something? An affair just doesn't have to be physical. You know what it starts with? Flirting. Some of us today, maybe you're online watching, maybe you're in the house. These desires are from God, okay? The, 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 the one thing that growing up I wish was different about this conversation is that, is that it was actually taught in church. That the things I was feeling, sex is not something that was invented in some dark cave or back alley. Sex and attraction is created by God. 
And all growing up, it was only depicted as disgusting and, oh, no, save it for marriage. And even then, they gave you no information on how to work all that out. It was just so taboo to talk about. And today, hear me, it is beautiful within God's design. It is beautiful and fruitful and will uh, lead you to a type of joy that is unquenchable when you do it the way God designed it to be. But outside of those confines, it is very, very dangerous. Um, She talks about the fact that even uh, the security we see here um, where she says... um, the king is lying on my couch, enchanted by the fragrance of, of, of uh, my perfume. My lover is like a sacket of myrrh lying between my breasts. There is a type of security that you find in this type of love. There's a type of security. And today, I don't know, I'm, ju- I'm just encouraged by this. That love, the love that Christ sends us into, is so secure. His love for us is secure, just like this. And so basically, even while they are apart, you see this love is just lingering. You can still feel it. You're still secure in it. They didn't have to be together for her to feel the love for each other. In the vineyards of Engedi, I have, I have probably eight pages worth of notes, and I just don't have all the time to peel every layer here back. But um, this was a beautiful vineyard, and it was one in Judea where uh, it was kind of in the midst of, you would like come across it, and it was refreshing. So when, when they mention here, uh, he is like a bouquet of sweet henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi, he's like a refreshing stopover, beautiful, an oasis of life and a desert of monotony like a weary traveler. She, she found refreshment in him. When was the last time that depicted your relationships? You find refreshment and rest in each other. And if you're, if you're starting to feel today during this message that, man, this seems unattainable, pastor. Oh, man, I gotta, I gotta be quiet. It's time to go, isn't it? Y'all come on up. Some of you may begin to feel like, man, he's talking about I'm supposed to uh, respect and honor my husband this way and, 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 and I'm supposed to uh, love and cherish my wife this way, which is something we all say at the marriage pulpit, but then it seems like to fade to the background when life hits, right? It is possible for you. And one of my many prayers by walking through this book has been that your marriage would look different in four weeks than it does today. He kind of responds, how beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. I'm going to try that on Valentine's Day, baby. I'm going to get you a card. 
and, I, and I, I'm going to get doves. I'm going to get them in a cage. Yeah. And then when you wake up in the morning, I'm going to bring them in the house. I'm going to bring them in the house, and I'm going to put them next to your bed. And then, and then I'm going to have chocolates and breakfast. Um, and then when you, when you wake up, I'm going to open the cage and let the doves fly out, and then I'm going to read the scripture over you. And just see, and just see where it goes from there, okay? <laughs> what? Yeah, some of y'all are going to try that. I know it. I know it. Wayne, look at Wayne. Wayne back there said, yep, I got doves on order, brother. Where you get your doves at? <laughs> she then responds to him, you are handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. The soft grass is our bed. Fragrant cedar branches at the perfect, uh, are the beams of our house and pleasant smelling firs are the rafters. The maiden loved and respected the character of her beloved, yet she was also attracted to his appearance. There was no doubt because the beloved was and made himself handsome, but also because she saw him through a woman's eyes of love, which undeniably make a man look better. I think many times the reason marriages falter relationships falter is this if it's not perfect you just give up on it uh, well it's not working out I'm just going to throw my hands up okay I'm not I'm not going to change and she's not going to change and, and, and life is just going to be this way this is just how it is and I'm here to tell you today that it doesn't have to be that way our relationships don't have to be perfect it's about perspective and I, I say this in every marriage counseling session I do, is, and, and that is this key to, to a good marriage and something we're still working on. It's, you, have some, you have to actively work on it. You should be um, experts in each other's strengths and not experts in each other's weaknesses. Okay? That's what this is. This, this whole chapter one is just a picture of what it looks like. This woman says, but look at me. I know me. I am not deserving of this. Some of you men and women today could probably say, I don't deserve that. It is up to our spouses to look at us and say, look, I see the very best in you and I choose to see that. Because I'm seeing not just through physical eyes, I'm seeing through eyes of love. And let me tell you today, let me tell you today that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the only reason you're able to make it through the pearly gates and end up in, in reconciled to him is because of this one thing, that when Christ looks at you, he sees the cross. He sees you through the eyes of his love, through his son Jesus. And so this shouldn't be a foreign concept for us to look at each other and love each other despite us. Because God looked at you and he loved you despite you. Some of y'all were wondering if I was gonna preach today. And I just saved it right, that, I'm, I'm trying to close well. We can see many marriage benefits from chapter one. But the last question I had 
before they sing. And then, then we're going to go ahead and have our business meeting today. If you can hang around, it, I'll have you out in time to beat the Methodist to lunch. Um, I have Methodist family, so it's okay. Are our relationships glorifying or detracting from our witness? Are they glorifying God or detracting from him? Are we living our marriages and relationships in a way that people look at it and they see us in our homes and they say, I want that. It's not perfect, but I want to know how you're able to do that. I am a better husband because of the love that God has showed me. My wife is a better wife because of the love God has shown her. And my prayer today is that our marriages and relationships would bloom and love despite each other. And that starts with a conversation. That starts with a date night out. That starts with a rekindling of an understanding that, hey, I am to love my spouse or the person I'm in a relationship with the way that Christ loves me. And that is this, that no matter what I've done, where I've come from, because Christ love what? In 1 Corinthians, keeps no record of wrong. And I'm not going to do a whole marriage counseling session today, but some of y'all hanging on to too much stuff. Okay? Let me tell you something. Women have the mind of an elephant. They remember everything. And some of you men have that same mind. You just remind each other of all the times you failed. Hear me. I'm so glad that Christ, when he looks at me, he sees his son Jesus. It's called imputed righteousness, a righteousness I couldn't earn on my own that I only have because of the death of Jesus on the cross. I hope it transforms your marriage today. I hope you join us next week um, for more awkward conversations on love from Solomon. Um, but today, as, as we pray and as we worship, my prayer that you would take a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to talk to the Lord for just a moment about how he can use you through your relationships to point people towards him. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.